I also think that as as older women, we face another kind of prejudice, which is pervasive, I think. I think over a certain age, I think women become invisible in society. It drives wives wicked. It makes such a golden brown pot. It must be lots of fun to be a mother. I've got something to apologize for. I wore my good suit because it was plain and neat. Afraid of not knowing what is proper. This yellow fluffo is such a short shortening. Hi, I'm Susan Osman, and this is Been There, Done That, a show about women who are shaping our world. They're not just striving, but thriving. Experience smart women who are redefining what it means to be a woman in the workplace. You know I can't work without a good breakfast. All right, Claire, stop typing, please. All right, Claire, stop typing, please. This week, I talked to one of these women. She's Jane Rankin. She's worked with global publishing brands in South Africa and established herself there and in the UK. She's an entrepreneur, producer, and director of Sound Understanding, a new venture focusing on digital audio editions of news content as well as audiobooks. And she joins me now. Hi, Jane. Hello, Susan. Very nice of you to join us. Now, what was life like for you growing up as a young girl in South Africa? I think it took me a long time before it dawned on me um, that I was living in a very unusual country. And I think um, I came over here as a young girl when I was about eight. And I realized when we were over here um, on holiday that people were asking very strange questions about the country I lived in. And that's when I started to realize that there were there were problems in South Africa. And then I read Andre Brink's um, A Dry White Season when I was about 14 and the full scale of what South Africa was actually going through really started to dawn on me and the level of what apartheid meant for the majority of South Africans and how people were suffering under that regime really started to hit home. So it was a very complex place to grow up in. And and do you have flashbacks of some of the things that went on in South Africa or did it all seem a bit normal to you then when you were a child? I think, you know, as one, one with one's growing awareness and listening to the news and w- realising so what was going on, I think um, I think w- there was an element of fear that we were living in a a society that you know we and we certain people were suffering hugely, and also if if we as white South Africans were seen to be collaborating in any way, the repercussions would have been horrific. So. It was a it was a very strange place to grow up, but at the same time, as a as a white South African, we enjoyed many privileges as children growing up in that environment. And I look at young people today, and I think you know, it never I never questioned whether I'd get a job or, um, you know, opportunities seemed endless. And I don't think that's what young people are facing today. I think they, I think they realise that opportunities aren't endless. Uh, what about women specifically in South Africa? Obviously, you had apartheid and you had the obvious prejudice there. But what about women? How were how are women treated in the, a, a white South Africa more specifically? What's interesting about South Africa is there are layers of 
patriarchy because the different cultures treat women differently. Patriarchy happens in layers and obviously is massively exacerbated by poverty. South Africa was also a very traditional society in many ways. And I think um, there were expectations that as a woman in South Africa, while you would get a career, ultimately you'd get married and have children, and that would be where you'd focus most of your attention. And I, as a young woman, definitely didn't see that um, as my future. I had other plans. So <laughs> I think that, that, that was challenging. Uh, uh, what were those other plans, and, and how did you execute them? I think what frightened me about marriage and still does is the constraints it imposes. And I I knew I wanted a career and I wanted to be free to travel and experience experience things. So for me, it was very much, and I was very fortunate I got into an industry that I really loved, which was book publishing. And doing work that I loved and that I felt had value and added value to other people's lives was a huge priority for me. Um, and yes, uh, my work became everything. It, I was very, very involved in um, publishing and was fortunate enough to travel to the UK frequently on business. And that's what led to the next chapter in many ways. <laughs> and, and, and who was your mentor? Who was your guiding light? Because it, it strikes me that that's to be brought up in apartheid and with all that prejudice and all that fear and subliminal hatred as well as actual hatred, who did you turn to to guide you out of it? Well, I think, and I think that's why, um, you know, book publishing in South Africa had a reputation because um, a number of texts were banned in South Africa. And there were a number of publishers, including the publisher that I ended up working for, Jonathan Ball, who took incredible risks in terms of what they published and what they exposed about the government and what the government was was actually doing. And so I think that being involved in publishing and knowing that we were part of this movement to expose what the government was up to was very gratifying. And, um, and Jonathan Ball was um, hugely inspirational in that way. And um, Jonathan Ball Publishers to this day is an incredibly successful publisher and has continued to publish uh, books that criticise the current government and the corruption that the current government has um, been guilty of. So that trend in terms of publishing has continued. What about... Um prejudice in terms of your gender did you experience that uh, in your professional life uh, yes i did there there's very much a, a glass ceiling in south africa specifically and it was very very apparent in publishing and i think that um which i found intensely frustrating there was very much a boys club at work with with the men getting together and having drinks after work and it took a lot of effort on a woman's part to sort of break in and become part of what the men were doing. Um, and, uh, you know, that socialising after work is very much where a lot of decisions are discussed 
So it's important to be part of that. So I think that, and I think that glass ceiling in South Africa still exists to a huge extent um, across numerous industries. Um, they are. I think I actually think in politics, you've got more chances a woman to progress than they, than in business because of these. Um, but these these barriers are taking time to to break down. But I think you know a lot of women are working very hard to do that. But I think if you look at the percentage of women in very senior positions in South Africa, the numbers are still very low. So how do you think women are going to break through? Because you you talk about this sort of the old boys, you know, club at the end of work, which goes on all, all over the world. How how do you think women are going to eventually break through all this? I think you know the the other challenge in South Africa is that, and it's something that I've come across here is, you know, what there are a whole lot of issues around things like maternity leave. The maternity leave in South Africa is nothing close to the length of time that women get over here, for instance. So you know, there are constraints on women from a in terms of it fully engaging with their careers because if they have a family, um, you know, it's going to um, impact their family tremendously, having to go back to work very. So I think all I think all those things need to be revised, and women need to be supported more in the workplace so that they can be fully present even when they become mothers. They can take adequate time off and not feel that their careers are going to be threatened. So, so you you left South Africa and you settled in the UK. Uh, what made you finally make that move, and, and what was the transition, or what has the transition been like for you? Um, Susan, I was quite a bookish child, and I am, um, and when I was young, most of the novels I was reading were took place in the UK. So, the UK was very alive in my head as a child, and then. I was fortunate enough as an adult to travel here very frequently. And to me, the London is the home of publishing. It always has been. And I I wanted to be part of publishing in the UK. And but I had a a relationship in South Africa and various and I had a really good job in South Africa. And so it wasn't the right time. And then I'd left publishing gone into another um, career, and that's when I started making the plans to come to South Africa. I was actually working with entrepreneurs in South Africa, and I would talk to the entrepreneurs about living their dream because I said to them, you know, if if your business isn't part of what you dream for yourself, the, the hardships associated with entrepreneurship are just going to tax you too much. But if it's part of your dream, you will make the the necessary sacrifices because it matters that much to you. And the one day I was talking like this to the entrepreneurs and one of the entrepreneurs turned to me and said, are you living your dream? And I said, no, I'm not. And that's when I set about coming to the UK. But dreams and reality are not, <laughs> are not the, the same thing. So 
And I think, you know, I've, I came over as a much older woman and I've, I've come here, I, I'm, I'm single, I live, I live alone. And it's been, in certain regards, it's been extremely challenging. But in other ways, you know, I'm not, I'm not someone who likes life to be easy. I want life to be challenging. <laughs> so what, what, what does living your dream feel like today? Susan, I think, you know, I think the realities of, of living in a country are very different to what you might have thought it would be like. Um, so I think, I think, you know, you, you living with the realities and, and I think that, you know, I think the UK, we've lived, we've just lived through two very difficult years. You know, I think that, I think the UK is recovering from a very difficult period. Um, but there are many things about the UK that I I love, and I, you know, the access to art and music and the theatre, and being able to travel to Europe so easily. All of those are are things that I hugely appreciate about living over here. What have you noticed about women in in the UK? How 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 do we compare with say women in South Africa? You know, I've just worked on a book with a a Muslim woman in the UK, living in the UK, and her book is very much about her perspective of um, life as a Muslim woman in the UK and the challenges she faces. Um, so I think, you know, in many respects, the the challenges that women face in South Africa are challenges that women face here as well. What what do you think unifies us as women in terms of those challenges? I think women approach business and um, and life. They infuse it with a different energy, and I think I think that's what um, what what brings us together. Yeah, and, and 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 in terms of the prejudice that you have experienced from men, was it did it improve when you came to the UK, or was it still present? As you get older as a woman, the things that you were sensitive about when you were young, you are less sensitive about. You're much more your own person as a older woman. I think. I think the process of one acquires confidence if, <laughs> um, as one gets older, and I think that's definitely been part of, um, of coming here. Is that I suppose I don't notice the prejudice. As I did when I was young, because when I do feel prejudice, I disregard it anyway, because I don't feel, you know, I feel as a as a businesswoman, as someone who's worked very hard my whole life, etc. You know, I don't need to be intimidated by a man. Um, so I, I don't think the I don't think the prejudice impacts me in any way. How interesting. So are you saying that as as women, we've kind of become anaesthetised the prejudice and as we get older, we just deal with it better? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, I think as a woman, in my case, because I don't have children, etc., I don't, you know, some of the constraints that women ha have, I haven't had. Um, so, but I do think as we get older, I think, you can choose how how you are treated, but I I also think that as as older women, we face another kind of prejudice, which is pervasive. I think 
And I think that yeah, that and I think I think women of a, I think over a certain age I think women become invisible in society. What age would you say that was, Jane? I would say it's sort of your early fifties that it starts to possibly starts to to happen that women. I think society's focus on youth and looking a certain way. I, th- I think it's partly driven by that. You know, it's 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 not easy as a woman aging in a society that places so much emphasis on those things, and then so it's dealing with one's own self and what you're going through as a woman getting older, and also the fact that society looks at you differently. I mean, I I would say certainly for myself, when I hit uh, fifty two, I started to feel I was being nudged out. To put that in a nice way, yeah. And of course, everyone experiences invisibility differently. Uh, what what do you think invisibility looks like? If you see what I mean, the irony of what invisibility actually looks like for most women. You know, I think if you secure in a a career. And you've built up a reputation in a particular career. I've got a friend who's a lawyer, and she's a very she's in a very, works in a very specialist area. So, um, and tra- travels the world, um, giving lectures, etc. So, you know, her profile she's built up her profile over years. So I'd, she said, you know, the fact that men don't look at her the way they used to doesn't bother her because. Her career, it's about her career now and the profile that she has professionally. And I think in my case, I, because I've changed careers, moved to the UK, I don't, and I don't have a network here. I feel that in, because I can't fall back on, I feel that invisibility more, I think, in a way, because I think it's hard to put yourself forward as an older woman in society. I think. I think they I think there's prejudice. Maybe I'm just overreacting, but I think there is. How do you think we can change things? You know, Susan, I one of the things I, I've been studying history of art, and I did a an incredibly interesting project on um, women who have portrayed themselves um, nude in nude self portraits, um, and it's an incredibly courageous thing to do. I think to you know to do that. And there are a number of women um, in the UK and in America who are literally breaking the boundaries of how women's bodies were presented and presenting them much more realistically. And I think, I think it's things, and I think it's women taking back and breaking this myth that women, you know, that women just go from being young and attractive to suddenly being old, that there's an entire transition that women are changing and all the time and that 
this changes their identity. I think I think if if we make society, you know, things like you know were you know years ago, you, women weren't interviewed about how they were experiencing menopause. I mean, menopause was a taboo subject. You just didn't mention the M word. Now women are talking about it. They've been interviewed about it. You know, I think it's all of these things making women's experience valid where we'll start to get rid of the, this kind of prejudice. Um, and, you, you know, men also age. Um, but the way society is structured is they don't lose their profile in the process of ageing. Um, so we have a battle ahead of us as women, I think. I, I think also the more of us women as we get older, the more of us stay within our professions and stay uh, sort of energised professionally and intellectually, then we can be role models to the younger generation. So we're telling them you don't have to give up when you reach a certain age. I think that's also very important. Do you agree? Yes, very, very much so. I think the whole way, and I find that whole subject around how we age, and I think you know, looking at my mom's generation and um, my grandmother's generation, when my mom was my current age, she behaved very differently and dressed very differently to the way I do. And I think I think we're reinventing aging. Yeah. And I think that's terribly important. And I think it is. It's about being role models um, to the younger generation. And, you know, I think we just – we upsetting all these um, – prescribed norms that were and and showing showing the younger generation that aging's different now there's very little that stands in our way as we get older except the prejudice that we face and ourselves presumably and and the belief that we can do it absolutely do you think it's important that as women age we demonstrate how flexible that we are and that we can continually metamorphose into different types of women as we age yes i do and i think um you know it's another there's a um there are a number of interesting books on you know the fact that we're all having longer careers now means that people don't don't stay in the same profession you know people change professions three or four times sometimes in there and i think this capacity to continuously reinvent ourselves is critically important and i think women are very good at doing that i think we like we, we're very good at taking on a different role. Um, so I think that, that ability tr to transition is incredibly important. So, so what advice would you give to any woman, but particularly listening to this, who is thinking about giving up? Maybe they're thinking, oh, line, I've reached a certain age and I don't know what I can offer anymore. Is there any general advice you, you could give? I think, you, you know, I think... Um, the challenge of getting older is you do start to question because you look at the at the younger generation. Sometimes you think, you, you know, they've got different values and how do you? Um, but I think as we age, we've got so much life experience to communicate to a younger generation, either in your profession, you know, communicating it to the people that you're working with, or finding other ways, you know, either coaching or lecturing or teaching or writing, finding ways of communicating your experience through to, to other people. I think that's, and, you know, um, we now have wonderful media such as podcasts, etc., where women's stories can be told and we can learn from other women. 
but I think I think we're living through very interesting times because I think it's very new. We we reinventing the way we live the stage of our lives. Jane, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Jane Rankin, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you for, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Been There, Done That with me, Susan Osman. Visit us on btdtshow.com for more interviews with dynamic women. And I'd love to hear from you as well. So please leave us a review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. These are words of respect. How can you tell when you're really in love? And look how flaky it is. The girls weigh each portion of food they select. The Been There, Done That show is brought to you by Dan Hall at Pup Media Consultancy. We can still have a lot of fun, can't we? Your manners are showing. I'm a princess. Mabel loves cooking and does it well. Overweight makes an individual undesirable. Lovely stockings. And you think that's all that matters?